Hi everyone, this is Simon Snowder. Welcome to my podcast series. I am going to invite thought leaders where we can all benefit from their knowledge. This is in addition of the masterclass series and the content that I share on my website and social media channels. Powered by Radical Thinking. Hi everyone, my name is Simon Snowder. This is the 12th podcast and I'm so excited because my guest is David Daly. He is partner at Golf Tax Accounting Group. David, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be back. It's great to see such excitement when there is an accountant in the house. Much yes. underrated. Yes, absolutely. But you're not just an accountant. You're also more than that. You're you're bigger than than life in terms of uh, the way that you can bring something that is boring to to uh, to to a new factor where people actually can be interested in it. Well, you kind of have to. Uh, I mean, it's 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 one of the necessities of life. Uh, the only certainties in life being death and taxes. So yeah, you just got to accept it and get yeah. on with it and. Uh, I mean, the finance people of the world are considered to be the natural cynics of the world, but that's how the world is. And the, the sooner you accept it for what it is and try and deal with it in the best manner that you can, then life's a lot easier. And uh, you're also more in a position to actually deal with it when it comes along, because it is one of those things we try not to think about or to deal with because we just don't want to. Uh, if you accept the world as it is, you deal with whatever comes along in the order that it comes along and you get more done and you're probably happier for it. Absolutely. I'm fully with you. But first, I want to know, how did you start in this industry? Because one day you were graduating, you, you came from school and, and did you think like, wow, I wanted to be in the accounting industry. I wanted to be advising companies how they can be more tax efficient. How did you end up in this industry? By accident. I never wanted to be an accountant. Um, yeah. I think very few people do. Um, was it the, the old joke? What's the definition of an auditor? Somebody who goes around after a battle bayonetting the survivors. Uh, that kind of humor was always around while I was doing my degree. It was just one of those things I was good at. And when you yeah. come out of college, you've got this idea of what it is you're going to do. So I came out and marketing was where I thought I was going to go to. I wasn't ready for marketing. I didn't properly understand it. I mean, in many ways, graduates aren't ready for anything unless yeah. you come out of uh, a technical uh, area of study, engineering, uh, uh, medicine, etc., because you've had quite particular training in that environment. Uh, when you come out with a business degree in whatever form, be it economics, marketing, accounting, you've got a certain amount of knowledge. You might have done some work experience. You're now ahead of the crowd. If you haven't, then you're falling back onto whatever little experience you've got. Now, my parents are business people. I had business experience and I understood numbers. Mm -hmm. So I fell into accounting and you have to eat. So I fell into accounting and I had a, a great boss in my early career, uh, Rob Carnes, great guy. And uh, that was it. Uh, next thing I was studying, next thing I was qualified, next thing you're 30. I mean, there's the songs about things like this. And that's it. You've gone down a road. It's working out rather well from um a living point of view you can actually uh, manage yourself on a day-to-day -day basis you can see a future now you can run out of that career going i swore i'd never do this and i'm not going to but i've got to this point i found a way to make it work for me well this is the path i'm on and i've been lucky enough i have found a way to make it work and make it enjoyable absolutely and we're going to talk about that a lot and i just want to know how did you know at that age that you were good at it 
Um, again, one of those things when you come out of college, you're probably, you might be doing a few temporary type roles in the early days, uh, and you'll probably be trying your hand at different things. And you are naturally good at certain things. Um, the, at that age, employers, even if they're bringing you in on a temporary basis, employers are typically looking for good staff. And, mm -hmm. and people do forget that. And they forget how organizations are structured. And, um, and they actually make their own career development more difficult than it needs to be. It's much simpler um, than you think. And uh, I was good at it. And I had early employers who noticed that. And try and nudge you in that right direction. They don't want to overplay it at the same time because you're young and you're fairly clueless. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can be pushed in the right direction and end up in the right place. And I was uh, quite lucky with that. That's great. Then, then you you work for a while in the UK. Yeah, I came out of university. I left Ireland in the year the Celtic Tiger was starting to sort of wake up. Yeah. So uh, I was probably one of the last years where the majority of graduates packed their bags and got out. And I went back to London. I was born there. Uh, my parents spent 10 years before going back to Ireland. And um, I'd, I'd spent summers in London as a student. So I knew the city well. I knew how it worked. And a lot of people had gone there before me. So you've got a, a generally good uh, working idea of how the city operates and, and how certain professions operate. So it was an easy move to do. Yeah. And then how, how did you end up in Dubai? Actually, uh, I worked for a FTSE 350 company back in yeah. the back in 2000, and I was in charge of the Northern Hemisphere for the TV business. And uh, at the time, the Middle East was run out of Melbourne, um, my counterpart down there, and uh, it was decided to move it under me in uh, Northern Hemisphere. I flew down, he flew up, and that was back in 2000. I think the Persian Arab had just been finished. And uh, we stayed in the Albastan at the time, across from the Irish village. In fact, that's where our offices were. And I went back, leave there. In 2008, I've just finished up working for a group. And I was in touch with my old boss's boss's boss, I think would be the line of control. Actually, no, it wouldn't be. be my boss's boss. And uh, he was now CEO of the group out of Melbourne. It had, well, there's particulars about that. And uh, I had been down in Dubai. I came out to see a friend who's still here. We were at college together. And he said, we need help. There was some issues on the ground here. And I came back. So I came back in 08, did a contract. And from there, I got headhunted into another group. And I ended up staying. Quite random, really. Yeah, just uh, by accident, more or less. Well, a lot of careers are. Yeah. Uh, when you look at it, unless you're one of these people who's only moved job maybe once or twice in your career, um, I've, I'm on, if you like, well, we own the company now, but uh, this would be role 20. So I've done a lot of moving because I've done a lot yeah. of contracts. Yeah. So there's a certain element of randomness because when you do move like that, you become very unemployable to certain types of employers, understandably. Mm -hmm. But then you're probably not suited to those type of employers in the first place. So uh, you do find your own equilibrium uh, from a career perspective. And uh, that sort of shapes uh, what it is you're able to offer employers or where you end up if you end up running your own business, yeah. as I've done with uh, my partners. Yeah, so you, you came to Dubai, and how old were you at that time, David? I'm 14 years here. I turn 51 tomorrow, so that makes me 37, I think. 37. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, as an accountant, <laughs> I should get the numbers right. Of course, I don't want to ask your age, but you know, I, no, no, no. I, I just want to know at what stage of your life you were when you started your expat journey. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, because that's always, if you do it in your 30s or in your 20s or in your 40s or 50s, it, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess you like it here because you're still... Yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's two things. That, um, do I like it? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the key things we have here is time. And uh, I mean, when I was back in London before I came out, I'd moved to Surrey, as one yeah. does at some point in your career or one of the home counties. And I was working in, uh, where was I? I was in Altgate East. And from where I was in Surrey uh, into there, every day was two and a half hours. I spent five hours a day getting in and out of work. I lost yeah. a whole day of the week just being on trains and tubes uh, traveling. And uh, you arrive here and you, you can design your life in such a way that you're never too far from where you work. True. Uh, when I got here in 08, I was 10 minutes. I mean, I could be home at 10 past six. It was like a half day. Yeah. Um, so we have time. And I think one of the great shames here for some expats is they don't take advantage of that additional time they have in their lives. Now, they might they might spend more time with their family, which is wonderful. It's a bit more kind of 1950s, really. Uh, or they might get, might get involved in different things, or they may do things that they've always wanted to at least try. And Dubai being a very a much a frontier market, uh less so probably as we mature um it is somewhere that is willing to give you that chance you can do things here which you just wouldn't get away with in london i mean i've written for the press here and have done for years uh there's no way in hell that would have ever happened in london not a chance and what else did you get into when you had more time on your hands because you moved to dubai and you had less travel time which Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've uh, stayed, mm. I've visited London many times. Uh, my wife was there working at that time. She was not my wife yet, but we were in a relationship and she was there for six months. And it's just going from this place to that place, that mm. place, that place, you know, and hours and hours were just vanished. Yeah. Um, and then you're right about here. You can literally live close to the office or relatively mm-hmm. yeah, uh, short distance from it. Um, so what did you get into when you were here and you said, wow, I have more time at my hands. Let me try out this, what you are uh, doing right now. And I suppose, uh, I mean, I've alluded to it earlier. Uh, it was in, it was in my first full year. Um, I spent a short time living with an assistant editor of Emirates Business 24-7. Yeah. I was teasing him. Um, mixed heritage fella, Irish father, Indian mother, wonderful guy uh, in the States these days. And I was teasing him about his paper. And he said, well, you write better. I thought, "Mm, okay, give it a go. One of the things you do as an accountant is you're writing a lot of reports all the time. And you've got to be concise enough that management can use them. Uh, It takes a while to beat that into a human being. I can tell you that because it had to be beaten into me uh, from school into college into the real world. And uh, so I knocked out three, 400 word pieces. He brought me in, uh, I met another editor, another assistant editor, and after that I started writing um, a weekly piece on business practice, which I did for a year and a half. Uh, I finished up around the time that they went, uh, became a digital paper. And uh, from there I went across and I had a bi-weekly column in the National on global markets and economics for a while. And um, so that's one. Um, And it was a test of a couple of things. Could I do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was used to writing reports, but can I write something on a weekly basis, which is printable, which people have utility in and the paper is willing to continue to run with? And yeah, as it turned out, I could. Uh, the other one was theater. Um, at this point, this is a few years later, I was CFO of a retail group and 
Um, I'd be in and out of the malls a lot, and I spot in the Metro paper, which was around at the time, that uh, they were doing Agatha Christie's and then there were none. Uh, the 1941 book, I think it is. Uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, so I went along to see that in, um, not the Killishan, was that the Killishan Theatre? Yeah, I think it was the Killishan Theatre. It's gone now, sadly. And I really enjoyed it. Look, it was, uh, there's a lot of names for community theatre, art house, call it whatever you like, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot of heart went into the production. And I know all these people to this day. So I got to know them and uh, I got contacted probably about two or three months later asking if I'd audition for Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. Why not? Wandered down, got a part, about 30 lines, and I met the most random range of people who I'd never have met at all, not a chance. And uh, I had an absolutely fantastic time and it was able to slot very cleanly into the life that I was living. Um, there I was. Uh, on stage, and um, we were talking earlier about this, performing to a larger audience, and if you're presenting at a conference, it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. You've learned something off, uh, you got a presentation ready for a given audience, and you present it. And it's actually easier than doing something like this, because there's, there's, the, there's no element of um, intimacy to it. You and I are having a conversation. Uh, that's a much more intimate thing than you talking to 500 people in an auditorium or in this play, I think about 170. Um, there's a detachment. So uh, in many ways, it's a lot easier if you're not used to it. Um, personally, I, I didn't find it an issue. Uh, but it was an awful lot of fun. I did a few more plays after that. And I'm in one coming up at the end of the year, Witness for the Prosecution, uh, which is on in Alcicale Avenue in late November. Keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. I love the junction. It's in the junction. Yep. And uh, I have seen many performances there. And what I like so much uh, about the places uh, in the theater is that the passion, the passion that yeah. you see from the actors that have practiced so hard for it because you don't do it for the money. There is no money. There is Let's no just money. be very clear with everybody out here. <laughs> there is no money. Yeah, there's this, no money. This you are doing because you want to do it. Yes. And I would recommend everybody give it a go. It's really yeah. good fun. No, one day I would also like to uh, try it out, um, and it's just it's just fantastic to see. Uh, I've seen the most beautiful things come uh, come alive um, um, on stage, and um, yeah. I, well, we could write one for you, Snelder's Windmills, <laughs> a ten minute play appearing in Short and Sweet uh, in twenty twenty three. Well, I want to be more in like the Poirot. I got the Christie. There's a murder, and then you know, I want to investigate. That's a lot to squeeze into ten minutes. Yes. Uh, we're talking knows? about what's called the Short and Sweet Festival, yes. which is um, on a single night, 10 unique plays of 10 minutes each, well, rather than a full I, length. Well, I want to, I would take you up on that. We will go and sit down and see what we can do. And, and maybe... Windmills, okay. Something. Kind of Don Coyote. Or something. Or maybe there's, there's an accountant and then there's a murder happens and, and then we need to find out. Nobody you know. suspects the accountant. No, the accountant dies. Oh, right. <laughs> Would anybody notice? I mean, we're, I mean, we're supposed to be the great people. <laughs> okay, so so David, what um, you also like to sail, right? I do. Uh, I'm a member of the sailing club here in Dubai. Um, this is a wonderful place to have a nice, enjoyable sail. We don't have the crazy choppy waters you do in uh, in Europe or in the States. So, um, and again, just a wonderful group of people. Also, there's international regattas once you're. Uh, you've got your head around how it works here. Um, I did the Phuket Regatta in Thailand uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. 
marvellous four days sailing around uh, Phuket um, thoroughly enjoyed it uh, and it's something different you know um, I mean normally at the weekends the old run uh, trying to get back into it again but uh, get up in the morning go hiking down at the Hadgers then you get back and go out sailing for a few hours you've actually done something with your first day of the weekend rather than get up and head off to brunch and dip your yeah. head in excess yeah, and also, you know, I need to also thank you because um, you have also introduced me to uh, the whiskey group mm-hmm. in Dubai. And um, because of that, uh, I've managed to uh, have the privilege to taste a lot of whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not even the tasting of it. It's, it's, it's the appreciation of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not knocking down shots between one to ten. Uh, it is getting into the different profiles, the different taste elements of each one uh, with a group of people who are otherwise interested. Yeah, so that I think that is also something that you have managed to uh, to do with, with more times uh, on your hand because you have mm-hmm. set up many groups in Dubai, um, and which is fantastic because, um, yeah. Well, yeah. it's just getting people started on their journey. Um, it's, it's everybody owns their journey. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to manage anybody's journey. Okay. You want to become involved. Here you go. Off you go. Yeah. Enjoy. Uh, and I think that's important. Uh, we, we, you got to take responsibility. We're adults at the end of the day. Um, now, fair enough. You do it within a, a greater, um, uh, collegiate, but, um, or college rather not collegiate, uh, greater college of people, but, um, you know, you, you navigate your own journey through that. Oh, absolutely. I'm very grateful for that. And I've also gone um, and visited my father's a lot, one in Amsterdam. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were so interested to know what we are doing here when we come together and, mm-hmm. and they do it differently. But yeah. the experience is there. And it's just uh, it's just great that, uh, yeah, that, that can be accessed. Yeah. But do you not feel just from a, a life point of view? Yeah. Uh, I look at this because I come from a country area. Yeah. And I've uh, seen... Uh, the generations move through, I'm old enough, Um, you get to an age, uh, your 80s, your 90s, and at that point, you're you're restricted in what you can do. That's that's just a a function of getting older. At that point, you're um, a bit like a trial balance. You're the summation of your experiences, uh, trying to have a few more experiences. Therefore, the more that you've had to that point, I I believe, I'll find out when I get there, Mm I think that gives you a better sense of life achievement and hopefully one of those things that ke- keeps you mentally in that place and maybe even encourages you physically to stay in that place where you want to continue to try and do the maximum you can do in what is uh, a very, very short span of time. I'm 51. I've left, le- lived half my life, assuming I make it to 100. I've had yeah. a marvelous time. But there's no end of things I'd still like to do. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm fully with you on that, and um, and it's a, it's a good one that you're throwing in. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to sound depressed because I'm 35, but I'm already feeling that my time is coming is too short mm-hmm. in this life, uh, meaning that I'm just very conscious that uh, maybe I have a maximum 60 to 70 years mm-hmm. left if I'm very lucky, mm-hmm. and like how much can I do in that time? I mean, I've tried to do as much as I can, travel. Mm. I like to travel a lot and see a lot of different places and experience new things. But, uh, but yeah, the people that, that are more awake and, and fulfilled that I meet that are um, you know, later in their life, 
they are definitely the ones with an interesting life. They've, they've, they've just done, they've just lived it, you know? It's interesting. I mean, you use the, the, the phrase awake, and we've got this word woke, and they're very different things. No, they're, awake they're is different. about I you don't living your life I and don't enjoying your life, awake, as yeah. opposed to woke, which means yeah. I want to dump down on somebody else's. Yeah. They're not living their lives. They're trying to interrupt everybody else's. Uh, live your own life for heaven's sake. Be respectful of those around you. Yeah. Um, you can't do everything. You're not going to. But what you do, do try and do well. You know, live. Yeah, absolutely. Live and and just, you know, try to see the beauty of, of so many things that are that are also there, like simple things, small things. And we have that here. Yeah. Yeah, we we have a lot here, really, uh, in the UAE. Um, as I say, from hiking to sailing, um, and the country has, in fairness to it, gone out of its way to try and encourage us. Um, if you're into cycling, you got Al Kudra. Yeah. Um, we we are spoiled, and we have the time. We actually have the time still have, to go out and enjoy the damn thing. We still have not played a squash game. No, we should play. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know I'm getting on, but yeah. I am ambidextrous. So that's my uh, one thing I've got over your additional or 16 less years than I have. Yeah. So David David and I have done uh, years back, we started the VAT uh, workshops mm-hmm. and seminars where we started sessions to help people get into the idea that VAT will be coming, that VAT would be uh, reality. And this was in 2017. And still some people were in the, denying it, remember? They were like, oh, no, they're going to change the rules. It's going to be different. Um, but now uh, VAT is already the most normal thing uh, in the UE, as you yeah. can expect. Yeah. Which... And everybody had to change to deal with that new regulatory regime. Uh, it's like moving here. You got you you adjust how you lived in your old environment to this new one. Now, uh, with corporation tax coming in, we have an additional shift. So, how well you're going to deal with corporation tax will probably be a function of how well you dealt with VAT. If you didn't deal with VAT, you're probably not going to deal with corporation tax very well. So, you have got the time to get a view of how you've adjusted to date. And at the same time, have an eye on the adjustments you're going to need to make because you need to have an eye on where it is you want to be and you are running out of time quickly. Yes, yeah, so that's one of the reasons why we did a, We started to kick off a new series and we started mm-hmm. with the UE Corporate Tax webinar, which was a great success. Um, mm-hmm. We had um, a lot of people there online, almost uh, 100 people mm-hmm. and uh, more than 400 people registered. So there is interest, and the only thing is, is that I think there's a lack of supply of good information. So what do you think people can do if they want more information about UE corporate tax that is coming up? Right now, there isn't a lot. Uh, there's a discussion document that's gone out um, from, a, from, from me as a person who's got experience in the field. Uh, it's, it's something I understand, mostly. Wouldn't say I understand every single piece of it, uh, but it is a, a, a discussion document, which is why they ask for feedback and some detailed feedback has gone in from various parties. And if you read them together, you would realize why some people were unclear on elements uh, of the provisions in the document. Uh, until the law comes out, right now we're just talk. We're having talks about talks. 
So we got to wait for the gazetted law to arrive uh, whenever that will happen. And we have had nothing official as yet other than it will be coming. And given it's supposed to launch in June, let's see. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, there are definitely certain things you, um, which you can be thinking about. Uh, they've given us an indication of the road they're intending to travel. And there is enough in there right now that you can start to at least get a framework around uh, how you think you might respond to it and then amend that for the detail when it arrives. But that's something, um, yeah, I'd be uh, certainly getting getting started on at the same time going, well, how, to, how, how well did I deal with the previous uh, change to how we worked? Um, but... Uh, that's that's an organizational choice and i go back to what i said at the start the one thing about being accountants is we're natural cynics so regardless of whether something's good or bad as it comes along we tend to deal with it yeah. because that's our nature we don't take it personally we don't get turned off by it you just sort of deal with it in good humor if you can you might as well there's not a lot you can do about it it is what it is but that's good because we <laughs> It's also new for the government, so they're mm -hmm. also trying their best how how they can implement it uh, in a relatively short time. Um, and of course, ideally, in an ideal scenario, uh, people, companies will know about it like five years ahead, and they slowly would progress towards it. But 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 for the people that want to know more about this, I think we. We said this already, we're going to kick off the a series. We're going to also have face-to-face -face workshops for people. Mm. Um, the webinar was also free that we did, and the workshops will also be free, where we would just uh, invite the people that are interested mm -hmm. to come in and absorb the information that is available. Uh, the questions will be asked. And uh, I think that's one of the things that people also need to be proactive. Uh, yeah. Business owners, uh, people that are responsible for... Uh, mm -hmm. For corporate tax. One element of caution I'd give to people is that you're not going to go to a workshop, ours or anybody else's, and come out with your solution in a box. That's not how it works. Yeah. What you're what you're really getting in uh, workshops is a bit of a framework to think about. It's giving you questions. It's it can feel quite philosophical at times, and the reason for that is until you drill into the detail. And I do say this to people, and they get quite upset about it because they think they are going to walk out with that solution. That yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um. <laughs> The, the reality is we're all unique and our businesses are unique. So it's a case of, well, what are the particular circumstances? And you, you have this conversation with people going, well, yeah, you're telling me about this issue, the different elements of it. And I'm going, that's all very interesting. And it is interesting. Um, but I'd need to read the documentation. I'd need to sit down and get my head around it. And of course, what the poor person on the other side is hearing is, it's a bit like a plumber. The plumber goes, tut, tut, tut. And all you're hearing is chink, chink, chink of coins uh, or money's disappearing. And it feels the same way to somebody coming out of this. And they're not wrong. But otherwise, you're not going to get a solution. Okay, don't get the plumber. Keep the tap leaking until the roof comes down. Um, he, he's doing that for a reason because he knows there's a problem. Yeah. Now, without getting into it, he can't really tell you or fix the damn thing. So you've got to engage. Um, and in many ways... it. Uh, each individual business owner is that plumber at a different point to their customer. It just doesn't feel that way at times. Partly because tax is quite alien to us. I know we've had VAT for a while. So we don't think it is something as, as, as normal as it should be in the normal course of business. It, it's more an, a nuisance. 
And as I say, being an accountant and a cynic, you, you just accept it automatically when it comes along. You have to deal with it, so you do. Uh, but not everybody does or, or does well. And uh, I get that. And, and trust me, my, my fellow professionals uh, across the country, they understand that. Uh, so we're, we're not being horrible, heartless people. You know, we, we understand. We understand it's painful. We understand that it's uh, something which is uh, diverting your time, your precious time. Now you got to deal with a what? And, uh, but you do. It's just one of those realities. Yeah. Uh, and the quicker you deal with the damn thing, the better. Uh, I think it's, um, what's his name? Uh, God, Jack Welch um, famously said, whenever something comes along and it feels like this enormous burden or inconvenience, he said, stop, breathe. You don't have to deal with it today, Yeah. but you are going to have to deal with it. So start thinking about dealing with it. And when you relax a little and look at it, it's generally not as bad as you perceived it to be. It also doesn't tend to take as much time as you thought it might. And once it's out of the way with you, you wondered what the hell the crisis was about in the first place. Yeah. But you've dealt with it. So, yeah, David, we were talking about the UAE corporate tax that we need to be a little bit more proactive about that. Everybody, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we are doing these uh, educational uh, series that we are launching. But of course, um, for, for, um, for, for the people that want a solution immediately, like you were saying, like a lunchbox, like, OK, I, I have my carrot, I have my sandwich, mm -hmm. my milk, I'm finished. If they walk in with that expectation, then it's going to, they're going to have a hard time. So oh, it's more than that. The, the law isn't out yet. Yeah. We know some things and we know enough that you can begin to start to decide the direction of travel. But we haven't got the legislation in detail. And indeed, some of the information which has been indicated might may change. We don't think it'll change hugely, purely because the UAE government have said that uh, as much as possible, they want to make this as uh, reduce the amount of disruption to businesses. For, Come back to this fundamentally, and we're back back at the same same conversation in many ways as we had with VAT. It is not in the interest of the government to chase away businesses. Yeah. They are in the business of making this place a wonderful place to live, a wonderful place to work, and to make it competitive on the international stage. 9% tax for the vast bulk of companies, and it will be 9%, is still very competitive. So um, they've got that in mind. Additionally, because the tax comes out of trying to create a floor for corporate tax globally, um, it still allows the UAE to be competitive on the international stage. So, um, yeah, they're not trying to haunt anybody out. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. We've got 360,000 uh, entities in this country. I think when VAT came in in 2017, there were 290,000. So the amount of entities has gone up. And one of the things I can, I think, uh, I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going to be right on is after corporation tax, the amount of entities will go up again, but that'll be related to structuring. And uh, you're going to learn a lot about that, whether you like it or not, depending on the type of business you're in. The quicker you get that out of the way, with the better. Yeah, I remember people were saying when VAT will come, they said, "Oh no, people will disappear, people will go away. Mm. You know, uh, why would I stay here?" I was, I was telling them, calm down. Yeah. First of all, look at the rate of VAT. Yeah. I mean, I pay 21% in the Netherlands, and I'm paying here like 10%. Five? Five even. 5%. Yeah. The international average last time I looked was 192 and that is the direction of travel. 
Yeah. Uh, I've said this before. Uh, when tax got introduced first in the UK, it was for the Napoleonic Wars to pay for it. It didn't go away. It doesn't go away. Yeah, and also it's good that you're paying VAT because then the government can collect taxes which they can use for their budget to spend, to invest back into the society. This is also a cycle. Don't you? And this is also what I try to explain to people. The, if you give them a relatively a portion of the economy and they can budget for it, they're not going to put it in their pocket. They're mm. just going to spend it back into the economy, invest it, build more roads, put better lightning on, etc., infrastructure, trains, etc., and then everybody gets a little bit more back. Well, it's that. a sign of the country growing up. I mean, uh, you go back to, what, the 1970s? Dubai is a small fishing town. Yeah. And uh, now it's one of the world's top cities, which is on everybody's um, tongues. There's uh, a lot of cities in China which have 20 million people in it, which is twice the population of this country, which people haven't heard of at all. Yeah. Who heard of Wuhan? A city of 25 million people before uh, February, March in 2020. Now, now everybody knows it. <laughs> a city of 25 million people. Yeah. I was there back in the late 2000s. I was uh, touring China. Uh, so I've been to the place. And um, I'd never heard of it before I went to China. I'd never heard of Shenzhou, where yeah. I'd gone to prior to that. And I think there's 20 million there. Uh, it's very famous for Mount Shan for anybody who's a Buddhist. Uh, and pandas, if you're into that too. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed my trip around. Um, but uh, yeah, this uh, this is a country of nine million, and we have cities here which are known globally. And that, if you think about where we were uh, back in the seventies, in fact, there used to be a British comedy series called *The Manor Born*. Uh, uh, Penelope Keith uh, about this dear who loses her stately home, and this wealthy uh, chap uh, buys it, and she ends up marrying him and moving back in. It's a comedy. But she used to joke about uh, what she called Abu Dhabi because it was this exotic place. Now, you'd, you wouldn't have that. I mean, Abu Dhabi back then, what would have been in the 1970s? Again, it probably wouldn't be so dissimilar what uh, Dubai was at the time. Now it's this uh, incredible international city. It holds a Formula One uh, tournament. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible how fast that has changed. And yeah, that's got to get paid for. And part of the maturing of the country is uh, taxes. Yeah. Just like you get everywhere else. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a sign of the success of the country. So, so yeah, we were ta- what we were talking about, David, was the impact of, uh, of tax, not only on, uh, on companies, mm. but also the, the greater benefit that it can have for, for a city so that they can invest in more infrastructure, mm. they can budget also for uh, future development and, and investments into mm. the city. And, and like you said, uh, Abu Dhabi um, is a well-known place. Dubai is a well-known place. And, and this is all for the greater benefit of our quality of life as residents Well, let, let's make it even more contemporary. Uh, we've just come through um, a pandemic. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not quite out the other side. We know numbers have been rising. But we're not in the place where we were in March, April 2020, um, where we were in dangers of uh, hospitals being overwhelmed. And it looked like uh, we were going to lose a vast amount of people akin to... Um, maybe the Spanish flu. That hasn't happened, thankfully. Yeah. We got a vaccine. Uh, we were one of the first co- countries in the world to um, get moving on that, get the population vaccinated, which we did. We came out of hard lockdown, I think earlier than just about anywhere. Um, yeah, there's still control measures and only in place. One, and only one lockdown. 
the one, first lockdown. One hard lockdown. Yeah, yeah and that was it. Hard, yeah. Um, and I think we all remember where we were when that was about to kick in. I was just arriving back <laughs> in the country, um, having been elsewhere. But uh, yeah, all that cost an awful lot of money. I mean, a frightening amount of money. And if as an expat you wonder did or didn't it, look to your home country about how many billions were spent. And I assure you they were spent here as well. Um, and how the responses were uh, compared maybe to here. The UAE's response has been phenomenal. really has. I've got to take my hat off to, to what was done here. Um, yeah. Both in terms of control measures uh, and having a se- and it being a sensible conversation. You didn't have the fear mongering. There were some countries where people are terrified today. Because um, governments uh, in fear, I suppose, played it up. Uh, because they didn't know the direction of travel. I think we took a more even-measured approach. Um, and also, as a country, we're not as re- we're not as youthfully rebellious, if you want to put it like that. Um, when And the example I always give about that, and I'll, I'll put it in terms of this, uh, there was a New Year's Eve, uh, oh God, was it 2015, maybe? Mm-hmm. And there was a concert that was supposed to be up in the pan. Something, uh, the the planning for the transportation of it went awry. And uh, people were starting to walk from the trunk of the pan up to the top. And uh, that was dangerous because people would be going into the tunnel. Yeah. And a single policeman went up, parked his car across, blocked everybody. One car, one policeman. And nobody went into the tunnel. Now, would that have happened in Holland, in France, no, in Germany? No, it is just They walked. lifted the guy and walked through, absolutely. You need to line a police. <laughs> and it says a lot about um, the population that we have here and the respect for authority that we have here, that um, it's easier uh, for them to be very, very clear on what they expect us to do and know that we're almost certainly going to do it. And we did. And for that reason, I think we got through it a lot better than a lot of other countries. And we should be very, very thankful that that's the environment that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, that has to be paid for. And if you're wondering where your 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 uh, dirhams are going vis-a-vis uh, VAT and corporation tax to go, it's living in that type of environment. Yeah, it's give and take, right? Because at the same time, we still don't have income tax. So that's still zero uh, percent. And that's everybody is benefiting from that. Mm. Even if you earn 100 dirhams per month or if you earn a million, it does not matter. You pay nothing on that. So having VAT, okay, for every spending that you do, a little bit goes through the government. Having corporate tax for the profits that you make above $100,000, Correct. Yeah. Uh, you will pay a little bit tax. Yeah. And look, uh, the rules are the rules. Uh, let's get a little bit. Uh, uh, let's go back a couple of thousand years. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, if that's what the rules are, obey the rules, pay over the amounts, prepare early, and then you will walk through um, uh, the process and come out the other side of it. Um, it's just good sense. You know, yeah. Be sensible. You know, we're adults at the end of the day. Absolutely. And we have the time. We really do. Uh, we spoke about this at the start. Me doing five hours commuting a day. I don't do that here. Neither do you. So you have the time. Take it. Deal with the deal with the issue. Address it. Make a plan. Move forward. And trust me, uh, you'll find that it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. And you're the person who isn't stressed. 
So David, what challenges do you think people will face when they go through these steps that you uh, explained, that they will make a plan, etc.? Uh, do you think they will have any challenge where they will need to invite in an expert to come and sit down with them and say, okay, now up to this extent, you can do it yourself, but here I will explain you how you can uh, really prepare for it. It does depend on the business you're in. Uh, it does depend on how good your uh, record keeping has been to date, because that's going to impact how you prepare yourself uh, operationally from a bureaucratic point of view going forward. Um, from a structuring point of view, it's down to um, how you're currently structured and what your future plans for the business are. I mean, the world is changing and has changed. If um, the pandemic has done nothing else, it's totally changed how we do business. Yeah. In a good way, I think. Um, it's upset people, but people don't like change. Or people, people can live with gradual change. What the pandemic has done is um, slapped us forward uh, very, very hard into the future. We were going to move to a world which was more online. We were going to move to a more automated world. And um, the pandemic in that way, commercially, uh, will in the uh, at a much earlier stage uh, be a beneficial thing from a, a beneficial uh, outcome uh, from a commercial perspective. But uh, it's, it's going to uh, cause pain to some people because the world that they lived in, the world that they knew, if that is one of those things which is going to disappear, and I'll give you, I'll give you an example of one from my own profession, ledger clerks. Uh, think about um, a supermarket, a big supermarket. Yeah. We know enough of them. Think about how many bits of paper fly in that door every day. Every day. Think about Loads. next time you're in a supermarket, go to a shelf. Uh, go down to the, the sauces, if you like, and look at the sheer array of sauces and imagine how many suppliers are delivering those. Imagine all the little bits of paper which come with each delivery. Think about the more fast-moving ones, milk. Uh, there's three suppliers of milk here. Uh, imagine if a, a busier supermarket had to resupply maybe two, three times a day and at the weekends maybe a little bit more and there's bits of paper, there's orders, there's goods delivered, there's returns for some reason or another, there's invoices, payments. A massive array of papers moving back and forward. And to a large extent, a lot of these organizations, it's all paper. Now, if there's paper, there's people. You can automate all these things. Mm -hmm. Technology's been around forever. I did a project with uh, in the UK uh, nearly 20 years ago. So we're there. That It can be done. So what happens when these, these, these people get automated? Now what do they do? Now, in a normal environment, it would have happened gradually. But now we're in a slightly different world. We went through a phase where we couldn't get these people to the office. And they would have been um, in environments where it's all probably old-fashioned desktops with paper coming in. And a very, very tidy, uh, efficient machine for the processes that they had in place. If all of a sudden nobody can comes, comes in, now what? Because people were still going to the supermarket during the mm -hmm. pandemic. True. We had our release for a couple of hours to travel exactly. down. Now how do we process this? How does the supplier get paid because they have to get paid yeah. otherwise they're not going to deliver goods because they're not going to have any money so um just in that particular sphere alone think about the amount of automation and think about the amount of people and we're in tens of thousands of people who do this every day what happens once you automate them what happens to those people 
Now, in an environment where we are speeding up that element of automation, and this is just one particular role, we're looking at driverless cars. There's a half a million lorry drivers in the States. We come up with driverless lorries. We don't need them. Half a million people, gone. How many people work as checkout assistants in uh, the States? And America's a good example because you've got 370 million people or 40. can't remember now, one of the two. Um, think about the hundreds of thousands of people. If all of a sudden you go into a supermarket and when you come out, you go through a gate and it scans all your shopping, you tap your card and out you go. Because that, And by the way, that technology is there. And there's a few people already trialing it. I think Amazon are trialing it. What happens if you don't need them anymore? What are they going to do? Now, we're in a world where that was happening gradually. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the pandemic, that's all speeding up. So what are all these people going to do? Because this is going to happen, and it's going to happen fast. What do they retrain as? Now, over time, the, the working world will move on, and it'll adapt, and it'll produce new jobs, uh, which uh, people are required to do. Now, it works well where there's a gradual transition. If we speed that up, now what? How do we retrain some of these people? And the shock. Because uh, in certain types of roles, people tend to do it for years and years and years. I mean, it's one thing, the likes of me who's had 20 odd jobs or 20 jobs. Uh, I'm used to change. Yeah. I adapt very well to it. And I'm in an environment where I'm dealing with a lot of different industries and lots of different issues. So I'm used to the, uh, um, these different types of challenges coming at me all the time. I'm built that way. But if you're not, now what? And how do we deal with that? Because that is a reality. That is where the world is and is moving, whether we um, appreciate it or not. And we're in a world of news cycles where we deal with the latest thing which is dominating our front pages, which is not really a topic for discussion today, but there's two or three bits of news. And everything else just gets kind of put to the back. And part of the reason it gets put to the back is... Um, even in the news media world, uh, there's only so much budget. And having worked for a news organization, uh, I, can, I can pretty much tell you certainly how it worked when I was there, is there was a certain amount of money to be spent every month covering things. And there was a, sum, a couple of sums of money, large, set mm -hmm. aside for larger incidents were they to happen. Now, uh, what happens is if there's bigger stories and it's getting a bit more coverage, smaller stories die. And these things just disappear because there isn't the budget from a news media point of view to cover them. You never hear about them. So these things could be happening already. It's not really newsworthy. Until it becomes a, a big thing. Yeah. And it will. Yeah, so it makes sense. Uh, for example, with the supermarket. It's um, just an example. But yeah, yeah. It's been happening now for a while already, these tests. But now they're rolling it out um, on a bigger scale. Every time I go back mm -hmm. to the Netherlands, now um, they used to test before just with small groups where you scan your own yep. uh, products and then you get a ticket and you go out. Second step was that that size was bigger and you could still you know, have a cashier and do that. And then there was some staff checking if you were really scanning what you were yeah. supposed to scan, you know, checking my bag and all that yeah. stuff, you know. I was like, okay, are you like a police agent, you know? And police inspector, it felt a little bit like that because they really were checking a lot. And then the next step was, the next time I went back was um, no more checking, bigger space for scanning. There was only one person left yeah. for you know scanning the, the items. And 90% uh, of the people were 
push towards that direction. And maybe in some time when I go back again, that one person is also gone. But think about it. I mean, people will go, well, it can't work ultimately. Let's take this bottle, for example. Yeah. It's got a barcode somewhere. Actually, I don't think it does. No, it's uh, because it's, 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 it's... Oh, it's part true. of a six-pack or something. But yeah. let's imagine this has a barcode, and this little thing yeah. here is your barcode. Well, the problem you have is you've got a full trolley of goods, is you can't really scan it because it gets hidden. Now, what you can have is a slightly uh, thicker... Um, piece, a bit like an electronic tag, but a very, very tiny one. Mm-hmm. So we know uh, at a fractional cost, and we know things get cheaper all the time. So when it goes out, it's not so much that it's scanning the barcode, it's going, where is that little, um, what would you call it? Uh, we call it a chip, if you like, on it, which I can overall go, right, I've got one of these, 10 of those, five of those, because it's scanning across that, it's picking it up. Um, and then it's able to go, this is the value of your goods in your uh, in your trolley. Tap your card out, you go. And it doesn't open the door until you do. Uh, if we're at that, you're right, all we now need is shelf stackers. And actually, I'll, 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 let's dive into the future a little bit more. Um, and let's think about 3D printing. We all know 3D. Yeah, but just to, to, to jump into that, there was also another article I read which saying that AI and, and tech, is, it's, it's actually not making that many jobs disappear. It's just making it more boring. And they gave this example. They said, for example, and more competitive as well, but in a wrong way. They said, for example, you have now all these food delivery people. And here we are very known to that. But now everywhere you go in, in other mm-hmm. cities, like in Europe, you, you see all these bicycle guys and they, they quickly deliver. That, that was not really big, like two or three years ago. And what they're saying now is that, that what Tag is doing is they find, they're rewarding the ones that are sticking to one platform. They're rewarding the ones that are putting the most hours as available. And they com- they're com- letting them compete against each other. So they become more miserable as well. By, for example, if you switch on your app that you're available at 10 a.m. instead of 8 a.m., then the, the better, the more orders go to the one that switches at 8 a.m. So what they were showing was that that the person with the bike delivering is still going to be there. It's just going to be worse conditions that this oh, person can work in. I disagree with you. I think their days are numbered. We're, asking, we're already at the point where yeah. we've got, um, what you call them, the drones delivering. Yeah. Those guys haven't got a future. There's no future in it. We already have um, warehouses where everything's electronic. Everything. Mm. It's all automated. So we can then have it automated to uh, the drone pickup. The drone picks it up, flies and drops. No, no, no. These guys haven't got a future. And if they think they have, they're dreaming. Yeah. There is no future for okay. those people. Maybe they can... Drones will deal with that problem. And that's where I move on to yeah. what will deal with the next issue, which is, uh, or the next big one, and we're, we're a long way away from it, is 3D printing. I mean, right now, if you want to get some glasses, you go down to the supermarket, you buy six glasses, you need some glasses. Yeah. In a future of 3D printing, and I'm talking maybe 30 years down the road, you just go over to your 3D printer and press a button. Right now, it takes forever to do it. But we remember mobile phones in the 80s. There were suitcases. Yeah. Then they became bricks in the 90s. Now they're supercomputers. That's in 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, we're going from think, suitcase yeah. to supercomputer. Where are we in 30 years' time with 3D printing? Do you think that we will have a 3D printer in our house that can do all of that as Everybody well? Everybody will have a 3D printer. But then Amazon will go out of business. 
Yes, but actually, in fairness, Bezos got asked, I think it's a few years ago, he said, will you still be the biggest company in the world in 40 years? He says, look at the history of entities. We mightn't exist. Yeah. And he's not wrong. He's absolutely right. Look at the um, top 100 companies in Britain, in, our, uh, in America, um, say, 70 years ago, and see how many of them from 70 years ago are still there. Yeah. And what you actually find is, as we move forward, uh, their life expectancy goes down, not up. True. So Bezos is absolutely correct. He may be there in four. Well, he won't be personally. The organization might be there in 40 years. The likelihood is, and he's not wrong, it probably won't be. Because something else will have come along. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the cycle. I saw one time a, a very nice video where, where they showed the top 10. Uh, yeah. Like, like 20 years ago, there used to be oil companies mainly, energy companies that were the biggest in the world. And then uh, after the financial crisis, suddenly it shifted to its tax. Tech from 2008 for Blockbuster. Onwards. Remember yeah. the video company? Yeah. That used to be a huge entity. I loved it, by the Have way. Have you ever seen a Blockbuster in... recently? No. No, they're but, not there. But, but I, I, admit, I, I do Remember miss the little that. cameras? But I do. I like to go to those stores and see the, you know, the videotapes. Uh, and, and I see like, okay, what's new? Uh, look but around. But isn't that a bit like going to the Botkollen Museum in, um, in Amsterdam? Yeah. You know, uh, you're going you're going back to see a museum product, but nobody uses it. Yeah, true, true. So so progress is there, change is there. It's it's just, it, it, it's part of life, mm. whether you like it or not. So what changes do you see the coming outside of UE corporate tax? What what do you expect are coming like years ahead when it comes to uh, yeah, the taxation system in the UE, what, what impact do you think? What, do you expect some new changes maybe in 5, 10, 15 years? Uh, you will. You'll, you'll continue, continue to see changes. Um, just as we've seen uh, VAT evolve in, since 2018 when it launched, we've had 29 clarifications uh, released by the Federal Tax Authority. Uh, the most recent one being gold uh, uh, a few days ago, I think it was, or last week, sorry. Um, we'll see the same with tax. It will evolve. We've got additional um, regulatory in, uh, requirements, which people may or may not be aware of. One of them is economic substance reporting, which you must notify by the 30th of June. And if you if it applies to you, then report by the end of the year. Um there are dependencies on that too. And then there's anti-money laundering uh, regulations as well, if it applies to you. Uh, and that's all there. And these things don't tend to disappear. They tend to uh, evolve in their own way. Now, the sooner you get up to speed with how it impacts you, the better, because you're earlier to the party. So, David, thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure for having you here. Thank you for sharing your insights with us and your story about your life. And uh, I would like to see you back one day. Yeah, been a pleasure. Uh, always good to have a chat. And uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to doing it again uh, sometime in the future. And for the people watching, this was Simon Snowder with David Daly. And you can see the podcast on Spotify and on, on my YouTube channel. And you can also watch out for some more content that we are going to create together because we have a whole series of UE corporate texts coming up. Thank you for watching and listening. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Good. Thank Good stuff. you, David. No problem, my friend. Thank you. No problem at all.